Welcome to Temple Talks, a new podcast from Temple Israel in Minneapolis, where Jewish wisdom meets our ever-changing world. Join us as we talk with our favorite partners and thought leaders from around town and around the world. We hope these talks will inspire you, challenge you, and give us all new ideas about Judaism, religious life, and social justice. I'm Rabbi Marsha Zimmerman, the Senior Rabbi at Temple Israel, and I am here with Dr. Gail Bernstein. This is a wonderful moment for us to hear from Dr. Bernstein about her experience and expertise. She is a professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at the University of Minnesota. She is the head of the program in Child and Adolescent Anxiety and Mood Disorders. Dr. Bernstein's areas of clinical expertise and research have been anxiety disorders in children and adolescents and pediatric obsessive compulsive disorder. She will discuss with me today the topic of COVID-19 and its effects on mental health of children and adolescents. Well, Dr. Bernstein, we call each other Gail and Marcy, so we can do that here. This is not anything to be too formal. It is such an honor to have you here with me and such an important topic. So many parents are worried about their children and COVID. But before we move into that, I'd love to know your own personal journey towards psychiatry, behavioral sciences, and how you achieve this amazing, amazing reality professionally, but also just how you got into this work and what made you go into psychiatry? Oh, well, thank you so much, Rabbi Marcy, for that really kind um, introduction. And I'm delighted to be here to talk with you about this topic. Um, so I went to medical school, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. And my goal was to work with children and adolescents because I just love this. And um, my, my path started with um, going into pediatrics. So I first, after medical school, I did a residency in pediatrics. I was at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And uh, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, I loved Madison. I loved my work. I found, though, that I was particularly interested in um, the uh, psychological and psychiatric aspects of my patients. I, I found that interesting, intriguing, um, just right up my alley, let's put it that way. So then I, um, still at Madison, I decided to switch into psychiatry oh. and I went through general psychiatry training, child and adolescent psychiatry training, and uh, ended up in this field that I absolutely love. It's, it's my thing. I enjoy it very much. That's amazing. Thank you. So now we are in a very unusual situation where um, your patients and all our children, adolescent, young children, young adults are really living in this very isolated time and on Zoom and virtual realities as basic as schools. So what are you seeing and what do you think we need to know about um, how to really help these young people through this difficult time? 
Okay, Marcy. Well, I, I want to emphasize that um, as, as everyone in the congregation, all the parents and kids know, uh, this has been a time of dramatic change and um, transition. One of the key things that, that we're learning about COVID and its effects on youth is that um, a large percentage of children and adolescents are experiencing loneliness. So there have been some recent surveys that indicate that up to 33% of kids and adolescents are showing a high level of loneliness. And up to 50% of young adults, that would be 18 to 24 year olds, are also showing a high level of uh, loneliness. Mm -hmm. and, um, in preparation for, for this uh, podcast, I, I did go to the literature as, as a researcher would. That's and good. I found a couple of literature reviews. The first one was about kids and adolescents. It looked at 63 different studies of kids who had been in isolation, either for health reasons, for pandemics like H1N1, or for various other reasons. And it showed that um, these kids who are socially isolated and lonely have a, have a significant risk of developing depression. Mm -hmm. and that could be during the isolation or even afterwards. Hmm. And the longer the period of isolation, the more at risk they are for depression. Hmm. Also, they're at risk for anxiety, but that, that didn't show up quite um, as strongly as depression symptoms. So, so that's a concern. Now, interestingly, Marcy, uh, I found a similar article that looked at adults. And while we're going to be focusing on kids and adolescents, I do want to throw this out there, that in the, the 24 studies that were looked at in adults who were isolated, they had some different uh, negative psychological sequelae. Huh. They showed uh, symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD from being isolated. They were confused and they were angry. And there were a number of variables that predicted these negative outcomes. And they included the duration of the isolation. And of course now our pandemic is, is going on about nine months already. Uh, whether they had infection fears, whether they were frustrated, bored, if they didn't have enough knowledge about what was going on in their community or in the world, if they didn't have medical supplies they needed, uh, and if they had uh, financial losses or job losses. So these, these are the types of concerns and the, the negative outcomes for adults. Well, that's really helpful to know, right? Um, first of all, that that no one is alone in this. You know, 
33%, 50%, those are high percentages. And so if you have kids in your home that are having a hard time, there are a lot of other peers in their circles that are also. So it's really important to take away the stigma of any sort. Um, and I think that's a really important message here. The other thing is I've heard a lot of parents ask me, oh my gosh, you know, what should I do after we leave isolation, you know, what happens um, and maybe even during, so maybe you can talk about what are the things parents can do talking with their children, having rituals, whatever, you know, right now, as everyone is mostly at home, what can they do to help provide some sense of structure and support? And then when we get out, what is that transition time? So maybe you can speak about both of those. Sure, I'd be happy to. So um, in terms of helping the kids and adolescents during uh during quarantine, you mentioned this, and I'm going to second it, that having a structure and a routine to their day is really important. They've lost their usual routine with going to school, extracurricular activities, uh, get-togethers get with friends. They're now stuck at home. So you need to set a routine that's predictable. And this includes even some basics as to bedtime, time to get up, when to get onto the, the screen for distance learning. They need, they need to know what to expect. And it, it's really important for these kids to get into the routine with their distance learning. Uh, we hear a lot about families that are struggling with that. Kids who don't want to get on the screen, don't want to get up in the morning, aren't doing their homework, uh, don't feel they have enough understanding on what they're supposed to do. So uh, it's it's important to, to get that into the routine and to get parents helping, but not over-involved. Uh, and we want to have kids have a break from the screen because we know how monotonous, tedious, overwhelming it can be. There's technological problems that kids are struggling with. Uh, so, yes, they're on for school, but they, they need breaks in between. To, to help mitigate the loneliness and, and the loss of being in contact with friends regularly, seeing them in the hall, seeing them at synagogue, seeing them in the community, I'm suggesting that it's important for kids to have at least I would say sometime every day that they can be in touch with friends. And that would have to be phone, texting, Zoom, uh, but it, it's, it's really important. They need that. Engaging in exercise and, and hobbies that they can do at home and, and things that they can do with family members. Uh, they could maybe even simultaneously do it with friends if, if they're on Zoom. Um, and another key point is that it's probably a very good idea to shelter the kids from some of the monotonous ongoing news and feed about what 
is is happening with the pandemic. Uh, it gets very repetitious and scary. It's good that they know the reality and why they need to do what they're doing, but um, it's important to give them some break from that. Love that. You had talked about the fact of it's hard for kids to really always uh, to understand what the assignment is that the communication between teacher and student sometimes can get a bit more difficult um and that you were talking about how parents can perhaps make sure that the assignment is clear to the to the student to their child and you know just make sure they're they're heading in the right direction in that i thought that was an interesting point that you brought up earlier yeah i think that the parents have to be um kind of coaches and and support their kids with the distance learning because it can be very um very challenging and frustrating you know they might not be they might not have a good connection they might not be able to get on um some kids are really, really very shy and um, and anxious about being on a screen and asking questions. Some are going to need probably some extra help from their parents, but also maybe uh, need to have some scheduled one-on-one -on -one time with teachers. So that that uh, I, quite a few of the patients that I work with, we've been able to uh, get that worked out where. There may be a time during the day where that particular child can can have some one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, uh, instruction and help and ability to ask questions. That's a great idea. I'm not sure you know I would think about that as a parent to reach out and make sure there is that one-on-one. -on -one. I think that's a fabulous idea. They may need to also uh, figure out a way to have um, chats with their their peers about work because when they're sitting in the classroom they can easily ask a friend like can, can you go over that with me or can can i have a little bit of a help with this question or assignment but it's a lot harder when you're sitting at home and and trying to figure everything out on your own right i think that that is really great advice so we talked a little bit about going back into reality. Have you sort of thought about, and it's hard to know when that's going to happen, but as kids have transitioned some back to school for in-person learning a few days a week and then back at home and now kind of seeming like some are going back to in-person, what are those transitions like? Do you have any suggestions for parents to prepare their kids going back and forth on things that they've no control over. Sure. Well, you, 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 there are kids who um, just love being in the classroom and, and it's, they can't wait to, to get back in. Or if they're on a hybrid and they have three days in the classroom and two at home, they're really flourishing with the in-classroom setting where they, they can uh, be there with friends, they can interact with teachers and so um, we've got those. We've also have kids who are delighted to be home. They're delighted to not have to go into the classroom. And commonly that would be kids that have social anxiety who are very uncomfortable with social settings where they might be judged. Uh, they're kids who don't like to answer questions in class, kids who don't like to 
present in front of the class or eat in front of people or use public restrooms. And their underlying fear is that they're going to mess up or they're going to be judged. And so they like staying home. This is going to end up being a problem for those kids when it's time to go back because they've, they've been actually rewarded for avoiding um, challenging social situations. So we're going to have to work with those kids to prepare them and to realize that going back has many advantages. And while it might be fear um, provoking for them, that uh, we will work with them to get some tools and strategies about how to be more comfortable and less anxious in those settings. And I think parents often aren't sure whether seeking professional help, when one should do that during this time. Are, are there signs that parents should be looking for? Um, you know, from my perspective, any time is a good time. It's always helpful to have a therapist help. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you some um, some symptoms that, that would indicate um, a need, a need for getting help for a child. Um, I, I mentioned that these kids are at risk for depression, they're at risk for anxiety. So a uh, um, uh, key thing is to look for, first of all, how is your child functioning at home? Are they getting their work done? Are they engaging with the family? Are they reaching out to peers? Are they um, expressing their worries and fears? So if they're doing those things, getting their work done and functioning pretty well at home, that's, that's all good. But on the other hand, if they're starting to show mood symptoms that go above and beyond you know, the usual fluctuations that kids and teenagers are, are would have. Okay, they're all lonely, they're all frustrated, they're all uh, wishing that things were different. The um, symptoms I'm gonna suggest are things like insomnia, like now they're not sleeping, they can't fall asleep, they're waking up, they're tired during the day, they're not eating, that's a concern. Um, if they can't concentrate like they used to, like before they could keep their mind on their work, but now they're not, they're just troubled with lots of worries about getting sick or that their grandparents are gonna get COVID and are gonna die, um, that's a concern. Grades, grades going down, isolating, like staying in their room, like not wanting to join in on family activities, Hopelessness, talking about death or suicidal ideation, that of course is you know very serious for getting help. But these are the types of symptoms I would watch for with respect to mood. Now with respect to anxiety, I'm talking about persistent worries that go above and beyond the, the natural, like we're all having worries about COVID, but mm -hmm. we just can't stop worrying or, or can't stop focusing on, on their loved ones and their well-being. If they're having panic symptoms, if they're um, very overwhelmed, and in younger kids, we might see behavior issues like regression behaviors, 
acting younger than their age, not being able to do the self-cares that we took for granted before, more aggressive, constantly irritable. And then I would mention um, in adolescence that some adolescents self-medicate or treat themselves uh, with alcohol and, and drugs to deal with disappointment, frustration, uh, isolation. So that would be a concerning um, situation. So maybe on the other side, um, tips for parents in helping their kids understand and cope with COVID. Yeah, I would say that one silver lining of COVID is more time with family. Mm-hmm. That by necessity, families are together for long periods of time. A lot of parents working from home. This gives an opportunity for very um, special family time, like making time in the day for family meals, for for breaks, for conversations. Parents, I think, would uh, like to, and kids would love it if they would have one-on-one talks together, and parents would find out what the concerns and and the thoughts of their children are, get them to express what's going on and what their disappointments and worries are. So they need to encourage their, their kids and teens to address their feelings and concerns. Also, um, parents can work on modeling resiliency and ability to adapt and, and to take care of themselves. So a parent that shows their child that they're exercising, they're taking breaks, they're eating healthy, they're problem solving about how to use the computer to speak to clients or coworkers, that can be very helpful. So I would like parents to work on modeling, problem solving, and of course, being supportive and helping their kids with uh, problem solving and, and figuring out ways for them to socialize with friends, even though they can't see them in person. And I, I think, you know, the other thing that's so interesting about COVID is that you're going into colleagues and um people you work with into their homes, right? And so, you know, I find that the cat walking in front or the dog barking or the kids needing, you know, coming into the room, it's like we need to sort of be a little bit more flexible with that in the traditional sort of corporate culture that is somehow you're at work, nothing else is happening. And I think that's a silver lining in this whole thing. You know, it's funny, um, frustrating at times for the parents, but I think we all have to be a little more flexible around that. Have you found Yeah, no, um, Rabbi, since uh, COVID started, 100% of my working with children and families is virtual, okay? Uh-huh. And and that um, has some real advantages and some disadvantages. Like yeah. families really like that. They don't need to 
pile the kids in the car, drive, you know, across the city to go to an office, pay for parking, um, get babysitters. And I really appreciate being welcomed into their home and seeing, seeing the pets and seeing how the kids mm-hmm. act with their parents or their siblings. Um, so yes, they're, they're, those are some of the advantages of, of virtual communication and psychotherapy. Um, some of the disadvantages, of course, are that um, there's something real about being in the same room with, with your family or your patient. Um, there's a lot more nuances of communication and um, you don't have to deal with the, the volume not working or the internet going down. Um, but yes, finding out and being flexible, like you said, like, well, I'm always, you know, excited when I see a pet moving into the screen and something to talk to the child about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We have to deal with it. It's fun. But And you gave an, a staggering statistic of how, much more people are showing up for their appointments without having to schlep across town. You, you yeah, I had mentioned to um, Rabbi that since um, the psychiatrists and therapists have been working from home, the no-show rate in our clinic has gone way down. Like they're they're showing up. So you see sort of like just daily life that, you know, before COVID was stressful, just showing up was stressful. So when we go back to that, um, you probably, I don't know if you'll continue to do only in person or, or utilize the virtual reality, but to also just be really appreciative of people showing up, you know, like that is not an easy task. Yeah, I think... Um, a lot of medical care and um, a fair amount of psychiatric care uh, will continue to be virtual. I think that the clinics are going to have um, op- both options, virtual yeah. appointments and in-person. Yeah. yeah. Suit, you know, the needs of the particular um, child or family. Yeah. I think it's great. I really do. And are there other things that you're finding in your clinic or other colleagues that you would like our listeners to know about, you know, the real life things that are happening in this COVID time for children and adolescents psychologically? Well, I, I did want to mention that, um, there, there are some populations of children that are, are, it's more difficult for them to be in isolation and to learn through distance learning. And I'm talking about children with autism, mm-hmm. with uh, learning disabilities, mm-hmm. perhaps children with ADHD, where it's just really hard for them to um, do things through a screen. Mm-hmm. And um, some of those children need 
outside services. Um, you know, they rely on um, going to school and meeting with a speech therapist or having a, um, an appointment with an occupational therapist, various uh, community groups or services. And so they're, they're particularly having a hard time. And I would also like to mention that um, socioeconomic factors are important to recognize that there are many families who don't have reliable internet, for example, and how are their kids going to get educated if school is uh, virtual? Mm -hmm. Hard. And a, a lot of uh, families that don't have the financial support or um, extended family support uh, or have long hours of work where they are just really struggling to support their kids, both um, emotionally and financially. And th that's really sad and something we need to recognize. It's so true. You know, the public school system has um, so extended its sort of wraparound services, right? You know, school lunch and food and, and support and um, and help with the academics of it all, with family support. And without that being in person, that's really hard for many families. So um, we we are learning a lot about what we need to do as a society in this time of COVID, for sure. I think it's been really hard for um, parents who are working from home to uh, to do their work and to help their kids with um, learning, uh, on, uh, distance learning, that there's, they're being pulled in many directions, very difficult and stressful. Yeah. More power to them. It's true. It's so true. I, I am just always amazed at what parents are juggling with young children, with adolescents. It's it's really tough. It's tough. So my, Agreed. my heart goes out to them. My heart goes out to them. Is there anything else that we should talk about as far as what you've seen and maybe even to give us a few um, sort of vignettes and and combined stories of kids who have navigated well or, um, you know, are, are moving forward. Because I think so often kids and parents feel like they have to do it all themselves and to hear other stories helps kind of open it up. Sure. Well, um, I, I certainly have had um, some some teenagers who have had um, a worsening of their um, depression during COVID. I mean, that's a that's a pretty common theme, and uh, they've gotten um, really far behind, and you know, they they become very low motivation and. Um, struggle a lot with, you know, getting on online and doing work and very overwhelmed. Um, I, I've 
been impressed with uh, some of the parents who have really stepped in and recognized uh, what's going on and have um, arranged some contacts and meetings with the school so that schools understand what's going on. And the schools have been really helpful in providing accommodations and um, extensions for the kids. Um, yeah, I I like the the problem solving of um, how to how to increase the contact between between kids and the, and their friends and realizing that like you said they're not the only one in this really formidable situation. I I'll put a plug in for adolescents and kids to to do you know religious education which is much online it's um i have found that that kids are so funny online in religious school and in um youth you know youth events um and to have youth group and other things that those are other ways of connecting in with other adults who can um, you know hold the, these adolescent and kids in a way that makes them feel like they're more adults in their lives than just their parents who they see in person. So mm -hmm. I'll put a plug in religious institutions at this time. We're finding kids are really um, plugging into our programming more than ever because they really find it easier, like you said, but also, you know, the rabbis are more accessible. So we're there to teach them and to be there and it's helpful. It's very helpful. Great, good. I, I agree with that. People are getting very, very creative, just like the youth creative service that we do on High Holy Days. We figured out how to get the choir to sing all at once. It, it, it's those are good projects because the the product is really um, brings a smile to everybody's face when you're completing it. Well, good. Well, it has been so wonderful to get your insight and your help in this matter because a lot of um, parents are are worried and uh, rightfully so because we've never experienced this before. So their parents never experienced it in the same way. And so there's not a whole lot of um, wisdom we can always give. So it's listening to the kids and making sure that we do our best to keep a routine and rituals, family rituals going, right? So. Yeah, and after after the pandemic, I hope families continue those rituals. That's right, that's right. So having dinner at a certain time every night, not just letting people kind of grab a meal as they go, which so often can happen when you're in 20 different places for 20 different practices and games. Here, there's the opportunity to really um, make time. And I've heard from parents that, um, you know, like, what were we so busy with? Like, what were we running around <laughs> with doing going here and there? Um, so that is another little silver lining. Like you said, it's not not only being together, but also not having the hectic life all around and the upheaval all around all the time.
which I think is yeah, because we've learned there's so much we can give up and still have a, a satisfying life. Uh, yeah, less stress, a different type of stress, but that's a very good point, Marcy. Yeah, so I, I've heard that a lot from parents that. Um, you know, just the the desire. I mean, it's just even for life cycle events, you know, for barbat mitzvah ceremonies, it's like nobody's having the big party. It's like, why were we so wrapped up in that? I mean, it is something that's hard not to have people physically there, but putting so much time into the big party and all of that, um, when really the, you know, making sure it is at its core a religious experience is so much more important and people are appreciating that. So, um, and that helps kids. That's resiliency when you kind of acknowledge, you know what, you were on, so you did a beautiful job for your bar bat mitzvah and we, having that big party would have been lovely to have people come in town. We miss that. But there's also a hecticness, like we get to sit down and have a really nice meal after your bar mitzvah, and it's such a nice, quiet time to do that as well. So beautiful. I love that comment. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's getting us back to our essence. Um, we don't want the fear of the pandemic. We wish we had learned that in a different way, but it is a bit of um, what we can learn even from the hurdles that come our way in the hard times. It's what Judaism teaches us all the time. So it's good. We are filming this right before Shabbat. So I want to say Shabbat Shalom to you, Gail. And thank you oh, so much. For Rabbi, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. So enjoyable to chat with you about this. Very, very wonderful. And I'll, I'll use your wisdom to share that this podcast, but also little bits of it as parents reach out to me as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Temple Talks, and any questions or comments can be directed to tmoss at templeisrael.com, and I will help them find their proper destination. Additionally, if you are the parent of a young child, I recommend that you listen to episode number four between Rabbi Klein and early childhood educator Alicia Stoller, in which they cover similar things of educating and parenting for that age level. Thanks again for listening. All the best.